Hello, I'm Burhan Kabai, Head of Content at OnFIF's Sovereign Debt Institute. And in this podcast, we'll be looking at the outlook for emerging market sovereigns in 2023. With me is Yana Harvey, Senior Portfolio Manager at Blue Bay Asset Management. Uh, Yana, thank you very much for joining me uh, and great to get your views. Firstly, how would you describe the conditions for EM sovereigns in 2022? Hi, and thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. So conditions have been really quite challenging in 2022 for emerging markets. Um, emerging market countries have been hit by a multitude of shocks and uh, really their resilience has been tested. But uh, they have uh, they have managed to pull through okay. Obviously, um, it's uh, it hasn't been without its difficulties. We have seen huge amount of tightening of global financial conditions led by the US, which um, uh, obviously hasn't been uh, very conducive for emerging markets as an asset class, especially for uh, countries that have had quite significant reliance on external funding. We have seen obviously a sharp uh, increase in geopolitical risks following uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And then consequent uh, increase of uh, soft and hard commodity prices, which then caused huge amount of price pressure and shocks trickling through the world economy. And we have seen um, emerging markets suffering from food shortages and some countries, especially in the frontier, had to enter into restructuring process, tackling their high debt burdens. So overall, it has been very challenging, but I would also say that emerging market universe has been or is um, a very diverse asset class. And so, you know, amongst um, the emerging market countries, there have been definitely many countries that have actually benefited from the uh, backdrop, especially commodity exporters, which managed to reduce their debt burden substantially and increase their uh, their macro balances. So uh, mixed uh, for some, positive some for some, but overall very challenging and full of multiple shocks, I would say. Thanks, Jana. Yeah, I guess, how have you managed your EM portfolio then in, in response to this? You said that some... EM sovereigns have benefited, uh, and they've been more attractive, like the commodity exporting sectors, uh, but others less so. So how have you sort of managed your portfolio in, in relation to this? Um, yeah, so uh, we have definitely seen a huge dispersion of returns uh, this year. And, and like you said, some commodity producers, especially the ones that have um, mainly short-dated paper outstanding, finished the year almost unchanged in, in total returns, really. Um, whereas some like uh, Russian Belarusian assets have um, lost most of its value and uh, eventually uh, went out of the index. And um, there have been substantial amount of other sort of more frontier countries that have uh, seen sort of 60, 60, 80 uh, percent uh, losses last year. So our bias has been to start the year defensively, uh, believing that the Russia invasion, the risk of Russia invasion has been under uh, appreciated by the markets. And we were really concerned about this complacency. But uh, as the sort of year progressed, and as more risks started to be priced into uh, emerging market credit spreads, we sort of opportunistically added to our exposure. And in particular, you know, this year has been quite challenging in terms of emerging market sovereigns accessing the primary market, we have actually seen net financing um, in a negative term. So uh, the, you know, the supply has um, uh, been lower than the cash flows that emerging market sovereigns have seen. But the issuance that, that, that did come through the market came with significant concession. So for us, it's been an important uh, way to add to our exposure through this relatively attractively priced concession of countries that were able to finance uh, mostly within the IG space, whilst the high yield issuers had to rely on on funding either from multilaterals or IFAs or even from sovereign uh, other sovereign countries. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And is debt sustainability a concern for EM sovereigns? And what what's your sort of view on that? Or were were the higher are the higher 
prices that these sovereigns paying actually an opportunity and, and a positive in, in in some respects. So we do think that you know in some parts of the universe um, that sustainability definitely is a concern. We have seen the emerging market universe change quite significantly um, with you know increasing amount of frontier markets entering our universe and. Obviously, these smaller countries tend to be very highly dependent on external financing. And um, as such, you know, in the last sort of 10 years, these countries have increased their debt funding, uh, given the easy monetary financing conditions globally, and as a result, became very exposed in markets such as uh, this year. And so, you know, we could definitely see more um, potential restructurings as countries try to uh, manage through these debt levels and reduce them and, and put themselves back on sustainable path. But we don't think that any of these uh, defaults or restructuring in 2023 in particular, similarly to 2022, should be of a systemic nature. Um, most of the emerging market countries, the large systemic ones, be it countries like Brazil, or South Africa and others, which have the relatively high debt levels overall, have most of that, most of these uh, this debt financed in local markets. Uh, so their overall external indebtedness is very limited. And so, you know, we think that um, any sort of restructurings and and um, potential defaults in the, the year ahead uh, should be uh, relatively limited, and and really will be a factor of uh, you know where the countries can uh, can. Uh, managed through with proactive policy and uh, and potentially even uh, with the help of IMF uh, resources to muddle through or whether they'll feel or find that uh, their debt levels are unsustainable and will have to indeed uh, uh, restructure with or without help of, of the IMF. Okay, great. Yeah, that's that's quite um, that's quite interesting. And I just look, I guess now looking ahead to to 2023, um, what do you see as the outlook and Particularly, we've talked about concessions for this year. Do you expect new, new issue concessions to remain quite high for the majority of the M sovereigns next year? Um, yes, we do think that um, you know the the funding outlook will be still uh, relatively challenging, especially for a sort of high yielding part of the universe. Even in some parts of the sort of longer dated investment grade paper, you know, many of these bonds are trading in uh, with very low cash prices, which then makes it relatively challenging for for issuers to to issue a par bond uh, without significant concessions. So we believe that these concessions are still going to be around. We also still expect sort of negative net financing uh, next year, just because the, the the market is probably still going to be relatively discerning in terms of which countries they'll be uh, willing to to fund in that respect. And so, you know, we would expect more of the issuance to come from investment grade countries, whilst the high yield issuers will have to you know, utilize multilaterals uh, or other funding mechanisms to uh, to fund themselves uh, in the year ahead. And what will you be looking at in terms of when you see sovereigns come to the primary market? What will determine whether you sort of participate? What are the key things that you will be looking at? Well, it's um, it's a, a combination really of uh, several factors, but uh, mainly um, you know you always have to, uh, especially in these sort of more difficult uh, fundamental markets, you have to keep in mind how uh, the fundamental outlook for that country and and are you willing to increase your exposure in that um, market. Uh, I think valuations come to play as well, but uh, we tend to be sort of more medium term looking um, in that respect. So that alone wouldn't really make a uh, make a significant difference for us. Uh, but you you always take that into account in terms of looking at your positioning and and planning a potential increase of uh, uh, of exposure. 
primary market is an attractive way to do so. And especially as we enter into 2023, uh, Q1 typically and January typically is a very busy month for issue. And so um, it is something that we would definitely uh, be expecting and looking at. Okay, great. And is, is anything particular you'll be looking at in terms of, you know, products or, you know, is it quite important for EM sovereigns to, you know, offer a diversified range of products in terms of, you know, private placements, different currencies? Is that quite attractive as well? So from the point of view of the issuer, it's definitely advisable. And, and I believe many debt management offices are aware, or most are aware, that having a diversified sources of funding um, is very uh important in these uh, current markets, it does alleviate the pressure from uh, a particular market if there is a significant amount of issuance that the sovereign needs to do. Uh, it allows sovereigns to uh, achieve more adventurous uh, funding. So I would um, I would definitely argue for diversification as much as possible. It doesn't have to be only through you know different issuance in different currencies. Uh, obviously, that is something that sovereigns need to consider uh, with respect to their needs, you know, hedging costs and others. I think more important than that, it's uh, for sovereigns to consider sort of the different investor bases in terms of more ESG-oriented investors, uh, where you know, sovereign issuance in the, in the ESG-labeled bond space have been still relatively, and is still relatively limited, uh, greeniums are still negative in this respect. So ESG-labeled bonds tend to uh, trade rich relative to uh, conventional ones. And uh, you know, there is huge um, investment opportunity and in, uh, you know financing needs uh, in terms of ESG-linked um, investments in emerging markets. There is a huge investment gap in um, projects that would bring emerging markets closer to fulfilling their sustainable development goals. And so, you know, we think that that is a perfect opportunity for sovereigns to find pool of, of assets that uh, would be willing to invest into emerging markets. And we think that there is a huge need uh, to do so. And we would even argue that um, investors should reassess their asset allocation uh, models to to enable um, more investment into emerging markets to uh, satisfy these um, these investment needs. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you make that, you know, ESG bonds have been quite lagging in the end, particularly, I guess, in Africa and Middle East. We've seen quite a few in LATAM. They've been quite innovative, but generally in the end, ESG issuance has been quite quite low, but but you but there is a lot of demand, you know, and that's quite clear. And so, what what sort of holding issuers back in terms of ESG issuance? Hmm. So it's um you know, the reasons are multiple. So firstly, for a sovereign to issue a green, sustainable, or sustainable uh, or social bond, they have to have particular set of qualifying projects, which is not always possible, especially for the smaller countries to find sufficient amount of projects to satisfy a benchmark size um, issue. So that's one um, angle. Uh, the other side is you know, perhaps resources. You know, at the time when many of these countries are uh, focusing on uh, on making sure that their population has sufficient amount of food, that they, um, you know, they satisfy day-to-day needs of their population, there is not necessarily the capacity for um, these governments to uh, try to design ESG frameworks, uh, which oftentimes are quite uh, time-consuming. They need uh, you know, quite diligent data gathering, uh, audit trails, processes, and um, you know, this is not readily available for many of the high-yield issuers that are arguably in the greatest needs of funding uh, many of these ESG-linked uh, projects. And so I think it's sort of partly that, partly the fact that 
the, the use of proceeds bonds um, need particular um, a set of a set of projects. So there is definitely a demand for a green, sustainable, and social bonds uh, out there, and we actually expect more countries to come to the market uh, next year. We have seen countries like Turkey and Israel all completing their sustainable or green finance frameworks in preparation. We would expect Gabon to come uh, also with their first international green bond next year to fund the construction of um, hydroelectric plants, but it's still not sort of enough to fund uh, the uh, the size of uh, the uh, the projects that are needed to uh, get emerging markets, and especially in the the less developed emerging markets, closer to uh, their sustainable development goals. But the last year has been, or this year has been, really interesting in terms of um, first a sustainability linked bond that has been issued by um, by Chile uh, initially, and then another sustainability linked bond, slightly different structure, issued by Uruguay. And uh, these structures perhaps opened up the, uh, a new instrument for countries that might not have sufficient amount of projects for uh, use of proceeds bonds, whilst um, you know still wanting to attract that ESG-minded capital. Um, it's another uh, another product that has taken off in the corporate space, but so far has been not that prevalent in the sovereign space. So definitely uh, an area to watch uh, for further further development um, in 2023. Okay, great. And you mentioned uh, the DBSLB bonds by Uruguay and Chile. Do you expect more sovereigns in EM to issue in this format, even away, away from Latin America? We haven't been hearing about another country uh, in preparation, but I wouldn't. it wouldn't surprise me. I thought both issuances have been very successful. Uh, and I, I believe also that uh, these, um, the format of these bonds is very well suited for uh, an emerging market uh, sovereign country where they are able to link their objectives, in the case of Uruguay, their um, NDC's objectives to their funding costs. And, you know, to me, that would be uh, would be beneficial for many countries, um, uh, especially for the ones, as I mentioned, that are perhaps smaller and can't really uh, gather enough uh, funds uh, or enough projects for um, a benchmark size use of proceeds bond. Okay, great. And talking about ESG issuance, um, I want to get your thoughts on the Belize debt for nature swap, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which uh, occurred last year, where Belize basically swapped their debt for ocean conservation. What, what do you make of this concept? And do you think other, other sovereigns could, could do something similar? Yeah, uh, so we we have been watching that um, uh, transaction and, and we believe that, you know, many of these um, innovative uh, arrangements are very important for emerging markets. Uh, emerging markets do have many emerging markets have uh, unsustainability high debt levels, but they also have you know huge amount of uh, potential and um, environmental endowment that they can and should be protecting. And uh, and it, it's um, only right that they get support uh, from other uh, countries and the sort of global community. Um, you know, debt for nature swaps have been very innovative way to do so. And we think that the Belize transaction has shown that this can be done in meaningful enough size to actually make a difference. The uh, debt to GDP uh, in Belize as a result of that reduced by 12%, which is definitely meaningful. 
And um, we have been hearing about other countries, Cabo Verde or um, Ecuador, who are presently in negotiations for a similar arrangement. And even Sri Lanka, which is presently in sort of negotiations for um, that restructuring, uh, has also in the past contemplated such a swap. So we, we do think that you know, the market needs to be creative. There need to be new innovative solutions introduced for uh, emerging markets to allow them to uh, reduce reduce debt levels and at the same time redirect uh, resources into um, into areas that uh, need and desperately need investment. And we have been hearing about other solutions such as creating carbon backed bonds and others. Um, a lot of them are at the very early stages of development, but we believe that they're very uh, you know, important avenues to explore to help emerging markets. And you know, in this respect, there have been other good developments that we have seen this year uh, that are definitely worthwhile mentioning, be it the COP27 agreement on the loss and damage fund, or um, you know, be it another country that has announced the just energy transition partnership at the uh, G20 summit, this time Indonesia. So following uh, South Africa, uh, South Africa's announcement um, at COP26, um, Indonesia has uh, managed to mobilize 20 billion uh, over the next uh, sort of three to five years to accelerate the the just energy transition, which uh, is is very meaningful, and we would hope other countries would follow this um, example. Yeah, it'll be so interesting to see other emerging market sovereigns do something do something similar in terms of their debt restructuring. Just moving on to away from ESG on onto Ukraine, which is another. Um, hot topic, I guess, with the with the war in Ukraine and obviously the, the heavy costs that Ukraine is facing for its uh, reconstruction and recovery. What what do you make of its needs, funding needs, and uh, I guess how important will it be for private investors like like yourselves uh, to, to be involved in that process? And what sort of conversations have you been having with the Ukraine Ukrainian DMO? Yeah, so uh, you're right. I mean, the the uh, the funding needs have been substantial, and uh, they have been only matching the, uh, the huge destruction that Ukraine has uh, has suffered. I believe the World Bank has estimated it at around three hundred and fifty billion dollars um, in terms of uh, lost economic output, and that was in summertime. And I guess since the since then, we have seen sort of further negative development on that side. So the uh, bill is probably only increasing. And and we believe that it's only right that there is already uh, there are already discussions ongoing about potential uh, post war recovery and reconstruction. Uh, you know, we, this is not the first time it's happening. Before uh, a war is finishing, we have seen that in um, you know, Second World War as well, where uh, where you know, similar plans through you know, eventual Marshall Plan has been discussed before the war finished. And uh, you know, we think is 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 definitely right. Um, uh, there have been many conferences that have uh, fo- tried to focus minds uh, on that. I think you know, th- there are several financing sources that can be considered for the for the future. Um, obviously, is the official uh, funding, uh, the official sector, be it multilaterals, be it the IMF or World Bank. But we're seeing, you know, not just in case in Ukraine, but also in case of you know some of the more debt challenged um, uh, emerging market frontier countries, th- that resources of these organizations are relatively limited, and they need to be leveraged up to uh, to provide sufficient funding for uh, countries uh, in in need. And so, you know, we do believe that private sector will play its uh, important role, but what sort of shape that's going to take is, uh, at the moment, still definitely difficult to to estimate. Uh, there has been other um, discussions in terms of sort of sources of funding, and that's been the frozen Russian assets, which have been amounting to around four hundred billion, and have been frozen uh, and are held in um, in Western jurisdiction. 
and uh, there it seems like the will is definitely there to um, to use these in some uh, way, shape, or form to to fund the reconstruction, which obviously would be uh, a significant boost to the uh, to the available resources as well. Yeah, and, and I suppose another interesting aspect is that Ukraine is um, using this as a sort of opportunity for a sort of green reconstruction recovery and. What are your thoughts about that? And, you know, there could potentially be, I guess, thematic issuance from Ukraine when it returns to these international bond markets as well. Yes. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, again, broadening this out to other emerging markets, we do think that you know, many of these um, uh, uh, bid restructuring processes or the reconstruction process in Ukraine uh, going forward is really an opportunity for uh, these countries to invest in greener recovery um, and for investors to uh, you know get confidence that their their sort of additional funding is going into the most needed uh, projects and you know, if these uh, projects can align with um, some of the sort of broader ESG objectives then uh, that is only going to generate uh, more uh, more funding in our view so uh, definitely uh, definitely the right path in our view. Okay, great. Um, and I suppose just lastly, then, um, what what sort of advice would you give to uh, emerging market sovereigns as they plan to come to the market uh, in January? What sort of you know key bits of advice from as an investor would you would you give to them? So, so I think the the three key points I would make is uh, one, given that we expect still a relatively choppy market conditions um, early next year. For sovereigns to be aware uh, of the conditions of the market and and make sure that um, they they time their transactions accordingly. Uh, to uh, as we touched upon earlier, look at um, how to best diversify their funding needs so that they you know maximize the demand available in all different pockets, um, rather than focusing their funding on a, a particular market only. Um, and um, uh, you know, in this respect, I would definitely advise more uh, sovereigns to consider issuing uh, ESG labeled bonds because there is definitely de demand, and investors are very keen to engage with uh, sovereigns to advise or help to help to shape uh, these uh, frameworks. And finally, you know, as with anything, it's all about communication. And you know, from the investor uh, seat, we always appreciate uh, issuers come with a. Um, with a roadshow, um, take their time, come to talk to investors, um, discuss their outlook, discuss their funding strategy, um, and that always um, you know, is appreciated from uh, the investor community. It increases transparency, visibility, um, and it um, it definitely improves uh, the prospects of the transaction as well. Okay, great. Um, thanks, Yana, for um, for your thoughts on the uh, outlook for emerging market sovereigns in in twenty twenty three. Many thanks. Thank you.